Namaste. So, in continuation with Essays on the Gita, which uh, we hope to have uh, a little longish series to cover up some of the main aspects. Uh, last week, we read about the significance of works as sacrifice. So, where do works originate from? Tangle of works, as it is called. So, works are nothing else but the energy which is let forth into this creation. And who is the origin? What is the origin of this energy? None else but the divine himself. So, works in its origin itself belongs to the divine and he alone is engaged in work. But as it passes through different forms or it enters into the vortex of worlds and ultimately, you know, becomes this ignorant lower nature which also serves a purpose, but that's a different story. But the original energy is from there. And that's why in the Gita we see that Sri Krishna... Uh, reveals this aspect to Arjuna that wherever, whatever you pick up, the preeminent thing in that, the seed of that is me. And there are some very touching, beautiful examples. Uh, for instance, he says, the Punne Gandha in the flower is me. <laughs> this is a sweet expression. The intelligence of the intelligence is me. The strength of the strong is myself. And then he says something very interesting. He says, even the desire which is consistent with Dharma is myself. So even he is the ultimate inspirer of all the actions and uh, the purpose of all this action is to grow into God consciousness. And in this God consciousness to become capable instruments and channels to manifest the divine. Now in this process the Gita describes a certain kind of hierarchy of um, humanity which is created and one such preeminent humanity is the Vibhuti. So Vibhuti is the one who is uh, who becomes more and more a channel for one aspect or the other of the divine consciousness to pour upon earth. It could be intelligence, it could be strength, it could be love, it could be knowledge. So such a person with preeminence is termed in India as Vibhuti. And because this preeminence also belongs to God, Therefore, there is a tendency in India to deify such human beings because it's difficult to understand in the Western context that why we, we are hero worshippers. Yes, we, we do worship heroes and nothing wrong with hero worshipping because if you don't worship heroes, then you are very satisfied with your flat average state. So, hero worshipping in India is a recognition of God who drives the hero towards the heroism and towards his achievement. Uh, that is the purpose. But yet it belongs to the field of nature. Uh, it is still in nature and such uh, kind of vibhutis who are called as genius in the western context. Sometimes nature in trying to shoot itself beyond its limited boundaries can even create what are known as uh, abnormal or eccentric uh, minds. So sometimes we will see this kind of greatness associated with certain kind of eccentricities. Shobindo touches upon this. And he says, why can't, why won't God use this greatness if it serves his purpose? He is not going to judge morally. And then he gives these examples that, you know, Shakespeare stole deer. He gives the example of Napoleon. So these preeminent persons, because nature has shot beyond the limited boundaries and frameworks. So there is a certain kind of abnormality which may develop, which we find in the life of some of these vibhutis. And yet... When a vibhuti knows that it is the divine force working within him, he is conscious. Uh, he is a conscious instrument. And there is another who doesn't know that a divine force is working through him. And uh, obviously when the task is over, 
that instrument is left aside. So this is what we see the difference between, let's say, Winston Churchill, who was actually engaged in one of the uh, much more war of a much greater magnitude uh, than the Mahabharata war. That's a fact. And the avatar also was accordingly, you know, Shurabindo, who is watching over the whole world, sitting in his uh, room. Uh, so, but the difference between Churchill and Arjun is this. So, Churchill could never come out of his small little conception of God. And though he felt that there is a power which is working inside, the way he used to be saved, suddenly he has to come, come out from one side of the car, he gets out from the other side. His speeches, Shurabindu would listen and he would note that where all he has faltered. But he felt, he's, somewhere he felt, all Vibhutis feel that this is not my power because it's extraordinary. Somebody else is doing. But because, especially in the Western context, this idea that you could be God is instrument, etc. is not there. There is a duality. So he could never really reconcile with this uh, thought that it's none else but the divine working through me for a great purpose. So what happens after the war is over, we see he goes into the sidelines. Dies almost and you know like any other ordinary person. But we see with Arjuna, Arjuna becomes a hero for all times to come because he has become a conscious instrument from life to life. So, vibhutis are preeminences of nature which, uh, through which God has poured uh, his energy in abundance for a certain work in the world. Like Swami Vivekananda, he was a vibhuti of Shiva. That's how Shivabindu confirmed. So, you will see in him extraordinary intelligence which is conquering the world in the hollow of his hand. <laughs> Great minds couldn't stand before his intellect and people were wondering where he draws all his knowledge from. But when it came to certain situations, let's say injustice, uh, even it could be a rickshaw puller, he would be all folding his hands to literally fight. Even with um, somebody said anything against India, he was like going to give a boxing. So Sister Nivedita could not understand that this person, when he speaks about Brahman, he is vast. But when it comes to anybody talking against India, he, it looks like he is going to give him a punch and make him flat. So, because of that eminence, there are parts of nature which remain untouched. So, that's the difference between being a vibhuti and engaging in the yoga of transformation of nature. Uh, when we engage in transformation, then all this cannot do. One, you know, they will be touched somewhere or the other by the light and they have to undergo the change. That's what Shivindu wrote about uh, men like Swami Vivekananda. So we must understand this difference. There may be people engaged in yoga and give, you know, risen high in yoga and yet they may not be vibhuti because that's the way the nature is prepared. Uh, Shivindu said, for example, Swami Brahmanand is more from Sri Ramakrishna, the first uh, 16, I think. So he said he was a greater yogi in terms of yoga. He had greater realizations. And when Swami Vivekananda would get into that state, he was the one who used to drag him. Maharaj, come back, come back. But in terms of divine action, I mean, evidently what Swami Vivekananda did in, uh, you know, by the time he was 39 is phenomenal and extraordinary. So, uh, there are people who are engaged in yoga who may or may not be, uh, you know, a vibhuti of God. There are people who may not be engaged in yoga consciously and yet be vibhuti. We have example of Shivaji Maharaj, you know, like a vibhuti. He, uh, so, this what Sri Krishna speaks about in terms of preeminence of humanity and in everything the essence is God. He is the eternal seed of all things. 
and when revealing it he speaks of two natures one is the original divine nature from which all things have come including the human soul so we actually belong to the divine nature para prakriti jiva bhuta and the other is this ignorant lower nature which covers us so in the ignorant lower nature come lust greed fear ambition and all these things so our task is to express this original divine nature inbuilt within the soul the true programming by the divine mother and follow that divine impulsion and discard all these distortions which come by the lower nature then we can become so that's what yoga is about to discard kama krodh ragadvesh lobh moh matsar that's what the yoga is about and express your true divine nature which is different in everyone and uh, that's what is known as swadharma and that's where shri krishna tells uh, arjuna that you are a kshatriya it's your swadharma to fight a righteous battle and if you abandon it you are abandoning the divine purpose which has been planted in your heart so that's the whole mechanism and in that the first training that he has to learn is to do works because that's how you will withdraw from kaam krodh lobh moh when the ego operates it invariably brings dualities ego prefers this result to that result ego prefers this person over that person ego prefers this condition over that condition and hence it is always engaged in dualities of good and bad likes and dislikes so we have to first cut this knot of the ego because if we don't cut it divine will still work through us he works through the whole creation but it will be a, it won't be yoga it will be a very slow process we can use the word the subconscious yoga which goes on creation but if we have to engage in conscious yoga then we have to practice equanimity and works have to be done as sacrifice so when we do works as a sacrifice we see the whole circle is complete everything emerges from that original seed in the ego we think it's me i am the doer i am the enjoyer of the result and that is what ignorance is about so then by offering the work to god we connect it back to the origin it's a recognition that it's yours come from you and to you it belongs and it goes back to you but here again shri krishna clarifies that if you do this for some heavenly reward or some other riches then you are actually though it looks like you are invoking god but it is much lower it's not the right yagna it is not done by the right mantra if one has to use the language of the upanishads you are ultimately offering it to the uh, for the gratification of the ego so it has to be done as a nishkam karma it's not like okay i remember and offer my work to god but i have this kamna so if there is a desire which is operating along with the ego then the work doesn't go ultimately to the highest though always the response will come from the highest but through these multiple little channels and shri krishna says that because uh, origin is always the one as the mother says when you pray to durga you pray to me when you pray to shiva you pray to me she says that because it will go to her that is the ultimate last point but through all these channels the difference is let's take the setup of a i don't like the corporate setup so let's take the setup of the country <laughs> nation and you have the highest world leader whose final whose word is final if at all there is <laughs> let's say a president signing uh, not indifferently but whose word carries a meaning not a titular head so what happens so there are two ways of approaching him one is through bhaiya mera dekh lena you know somebody that somebody knows somebody else that somebody knows somebody so it goes through a whole zigzag channel 
and each one takes his own cut as it is going up. When it comes down again, there is a cut. So ultimately what you receive is a small chunk. Uh, it still comes from him, but it is distorted, both in the process of uh, going there and returning. The other is where you have formed a personal relation and there you just pick up a phone and say, Sir, I need this. Okay, fine, done. Now that's where he asks us to form a personal relation with the divine. So this remembrance, this offering of our works, it builds a personal relation with the divine. That's why Gita speaks of Sharubhav, Akshar and Purushottama. The divine is a being. That is something very wonderful. And in that process, an elementary fundamental practice is equanimity. So because through equanimity, we get released from this bond of ragadvesh, liking, disliking, pleasure, pain. And that's why the Gita speaks of the highest yogin. What is the sign of a highest yogin? So is he like, does he wear a particular dress? Arjuna asks him. He says, no. Does he prefer a certain kind of way of life? No. Because he has gone beyond all preferences. So how do you distinguish such a yogin? What is the highest yogin? So the Gita explains very beautifully. Description of the highest yogin. Nothing outward, but all inward. Equal visioned everywhere. He sees the self in all existences and all existence in the self. So he can have no enemies. Practical aspect. Because in everyone there is the divine. Even the person may outwardly hate this uh, practitioner of yoga. And he may be engaged in a wrestle outwardly. Because such is the demand of God within. And yet there will be no hatred. So this is the state of the yogin. He who sees me everywhere and all and each in me is never lost to me nor I to him. He who has reached oneness and loves me in all beings, that yogin, howsoever he lives and acts, is living and acting in me. So we focus too much on the outer action. How, how my outer life should be. What should be my outer actions. This is the way the typical western mind understands. Um, as we were reading the other day. It judges people by behavior. Now thankfully that is changing. But in Indian thought it is the motive. It is the intent which is important. So if one is thith in the divine then action becomes not important because it's flowing from the divine. And one is freed from that. And its living example is uh, in Auroville, some of us must have heard about the Irumbai legend. You heard about this saint Irumbai. So he was a saint in that Irumbai village. Uh, village is named after him. So uh, one day in the local tribal king, there was a lady who was dancing, courtesan. And during the course of dance, her gunguru, what English mein? Anklet. Okay. <laughs> Ringing anklet. So that broke. And he went like a child and put it back into her feet. And everyone, oh my God, they thought he's a yogi? He's a saint? She, 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 she. They started shunning him. He said, okay. He went. And he started, you know, he started living upon a hill. But because there was a reaction from the cosmic forces at the insult of a saint... The place was, uh, there was drought all over the land. And eventually the drought was so much that, you know, people couldn't live anymore. And then the king realized his mistake. They all went to him 
and prayed to him that you know please uh, he said i am not angry with you but this has happened as a natural consequence and then he said that after you know maybe a few hundred years when people from all over the world will come and till this soil then the curse will be gone and the place will become green again so it is said that you know or will all the people from all over the world and it was really an unfertile soil if you really look at it like that so there is this outer action and there is the inner state so shri krishna confirms that his inner state which only the divine will know or your own inser- your own sincerity will know so here he says that um he who has reached oneness and loves me in all beings that yogin howsoever he lives and acts is living and acting in me o arjuna he who sees equally everywhere as himself whether it be happiness or suffering i hold him to be the supreme yogin so if happiness comes he knows that it comes from god he also knows that it is a passing thing it's not like people try to hold to happiness but he also knows that sorrow also will pass and he keeps holding to the divine so it's this is the practice of yoga people often say uh tell us something about the practice of yoga in sure in those context this is the practice of yoga and this has to go on all through because every day we will meet countless events simple event like oh you are looking very smart to you know you are suddenly you went to ashram you sat and whatever time 15 20 you, you didn't realize and somebody say are aaj to bahut deep meditation mein the and you you know respond to that or vice versa somebody makes a critical remark to you so all these these are the moments when yoga takes place in real time what happens in meditation is a small aspect it's a preparation for all these things and he who is alert and vigilant that's why dhammapad says who is a bhikkhu he is vigilant and alert what is this alertness you make the progress where you are you don't lose a moment that moment there is a quiver inside and you know oh god and then you get back reorient yourself that is the yogin another person starts lamenting and after some time it will fade into the background but one has lost that opportunity and opportunities will come plenty to those who seriously want to and take the yoga the enjoyments born of the touches of things are causes of sorrow they have a beginning and an end therefore the sage the man of awakened understanding does not place his delight in these doesn't mean he shuns them again he is not a sanyasi he is a tyagi if it is you present to him he is doesn't blur distinction shrubindu says equality is not a blurring of distinction he says doesn't matter give me karela and rasgulla i'll mix and eat that's not a sign of yogi there is a sign of somebody who has corona taste buds have gone i mean possibly <laughs> the yogi knows the difference and the distinction if he gets gulab jamun he eats it with relish if he doesn't get anything just sukhi roti he is happy with that he doesn't say oh my god why the salt was less or why was it more he takes it with joy that's how you know one of the shrubindo's one famous story one day there was no salt in the food and shrubindo ate and people <laughs> didn't know about it then later on when they tasted after the lord has had tasted they realized there was no salt and then they asked shrubindo that uh, uh you know was the food all right he said yes he said but there was no salt in it so it seems that he remarked there is a taste of tastelessness so <laughs> so 
<laughs> what a kakadi so there is a taste of tastelessness and uh, so that is the yogin it's not like he is saying no no mix everything and it's not something to be shown to the world no no he never touched uh, sweets that's not they are all external things that i will eat only fruits then you have a fetish for fruits you are attached to your appearance of detachment so any appearance if one is attached to one is not really in yoga and then he says something he is equal in soul to friend and enemy and to neutral and indifferent because he sees that these are transitory relations even by the pretensions of learning and purity and virtue and the claims to superiority which men base upon these things he is not led away oh what a knowledgeable person you are a pandit so in ashram context be careful ha huh? if somebody says you are a great intellectual just be careful ha huh? he may be just trying to tell you you are a fool you think you are somebody <laughs> so <laughs> because being an intellectual is not something superior in terms of yoga to start with being one with god is the only thing that matters so that's how the gita describes and then he says something very interesting there is a line in savitri uh, and shubindu says that person who realizes the self becomes he becomes either nature's freed man or god's slave so the gita speaks of this this is from the gita so what is a freed man freed man is a slave who has been freed yet for everything he still depends on <laughs> he is not a slave anymore so there is somebody who is freed from the clutch of nature through a extreme extensive self discipline like a stoic or a sage he is no more responds to the touches of nature and is freed yet for everything it depends upon nature but the other option is to become god slave so it doesn't depend upon nature anymore the divine provides what he has to provide so this is what shubindu describes in essence of the gita the freedom of the gita is that of the free man the true freedom of birth into the higher nature and he uses the word to take an image from roman institutions the stoic freedom is that of the freed man who is still really a dependent on the power that once held him enslaved his is a freedom allowed by nature because he has merited it the freedom of the gita is that of the free man rarely you find change of one letter and it changes a whole sense of meaning the true freedom of the birth into the higher nature because now this freed man freed man is still in the acting through the lower nature he has not taken a birth in the higher nature but is not responding to the touches and the other is where one is born into the higher nature and then he says something very beautiful whatever he does and however he lives the free soul lives in the divine and then describes something very beautiful he is the privileged child of the mansion balwat who cannot err or fall because all he is and does is full of the perfect the beautiful the all blissful the all loving the kingdom which he enjoys is a sweet and happy dominion of which it may be said in the pregnant phrase of the greek thinker the kingdom is of the child so this is the state that gita of of that being a child of the divine and this is the state in which a yogin tends to enter well it's not easy and so 
Arjuna says, sir, all this is very nice. <laughs> it's very difficult. What if I fall? So all this sounds very good. I'll practice it. <laughs> it doesn't say in so many words. But what if the yogin falls? Because what you are revealing is practicing equanimity. Just try it and see. You know, so many things will come. Especially psychological equanimity. So, because physical equality is easier to practice because the mind can superimpose itself. But psychological equanimity, especially from those whom you love and, and cherish, how are you going to practice it? So, what if the yogin falls? He tries it. So, Sri Krishna assures him that don't worry about it. Because such a person who has practiced the yoga even a little never comes to fail. He never really falls. So, what happens in such a state? He has practiced a yoga imperfectly. Something absolutely similar, Sri says in the synthesis of yoga. He says that it is assured for him and then when he takes another life, he is either born in the family of those where he gets a good heredity for the practice of the yoga or else he is born in the family of yogins where he quickly recovers the yoga. He quickly recovers the yoga and then he is taken by me on the course beyond, higher and higher. So, one thing we must know that you know people are very scared of, you know, uh, what happens if I don't achieve? Luckily, it is not a achievement in the sense of, you know, <laughs> time-bound. Uh, of course, practice of yoga will be through many approximations. But uh, our little efforts and not success and failures, incidentally, our little efforts, genuine efforts, are written in the book of God and they are deposited in the divine development bank, which never crashes. Invariably, he adds... We put little effort and he says, Kia na, bahut kia. Let's me add more. Like the mother would do. She would say that. When we are paying the tag, paying man's debt of night. So what she does, that's the mystery of the avatar on which we'll come now. So when man is striving, putting the effort and the forces of night say, no, it's not enough. Give more, give more. So the divine takes a human body and says, okay. I'll pay on his behalf. The eternal suffers in a human form. Here paying earth's debt, man's debt. So what is this debt? Because when we take a human body and enter into this lower world, these forces of nature, forces of ignorance, they too are supported by a whole fortress of night, the inconscient. They don't let go so freely. And so always within man we see a tussle between the upward forces and the forces of retrogression. And this tussle in an individual, it takes the form of moments of crisis. When an individual is confused whether he should do this or he should do that. Because on one side, um, and that crisis can be as in Arjuna's life, acutely moral crisis. Should I fight or should I not fight? Or it can take, uh, the two go together, it can be a crisis of civilization. So as far as an individual crisis is concerned, God helps us and there are the gods who help us toward the ascension. When there is a moment of acute crisis, uh, that time these forces are hyperactive. But every time we go through it, we know that we have taken a leap. This is the normal process. But when there is a civilizational crisis... 
What happens during that time? That is the time when God Himself manifests and descends and takes the lead of creation. That's where we see in chapter four the doctrine of avatarhood. Uh, there are four or five, six wonderful shlokas. There is, of course, a prelude to it, and it starts by Sri Krishna declaring to Arjuna, "You know what I am teaching you is not something new." <laughs> so he says, "Okay, whom did you teach? This is to Vyavaswan, son." So Arjuna says, "Son, you mean that son? Of course, we understand it from symbol point of view also." But he says, "Yes, that source of all life in the universe." So I have given it to son, Vyavaswan. He gave it to Manu. Now you see the lineage to man at its highest. Manu, the thinker. So from sun, which is the source of all intellectual life of the universe, it comes to man, the thinker. And then Manu gave it to Ekshvaku. Who is Ekshvaku? Ekshvaku is the original king. Of the solar dynasty, Suryavanshi, of which Sri Rama represents the high flower. So this is how the yoga is transmitted. So Arjuna is all confused. He says, "Sir, what are you saying, Krishna? I, you are born. I know that. Maybe you are a few years elder to me. But now this is too much. You gave the yoga to sun, and the sun to Manu, and Manu to Ekshvaku. Solar Suryavanshi is. That's when Sri Krishna starts revealing that who I am." And he reveals one of the the first mystery Gita reveals is about the mystery of God's birth in time, and this is a central doctrine of the Gita. It's also a very important doctrine in Shirobindo's Yoga. People who try to put it aside and say no, no, it's all an impersonal, supramental force acting upon the body, they are missing this truth. And that's why the Gita, the Gita just speaks in seven eight slokas. Shorabindu elaborates it through three chapters or four chapters in essays on the Gita because of its importance. So, what really is avatar? And he says to the materialist, well, who doesn't believe in God, we should forget about it. There is no God, so there is no avatar. So, summarily, you dismiss that. You don't convince a materialist about it. But to the rationalist thinker who believes that there is a God, his objection is: How can the infinite become finite? And then Shubhendra says very beautifully, but the whole universe is the answer. You split an atom and split it and split and split it. You will never reach that last particle because it's infinite. You keep cutting a paper into smaller bits, and if one could, with some kind of an electron microscope, go to the last electron, you still have some other particle. Still have some other particle, or pick up anything and stretch it. You will ultimately end up with the sense of infinity, which goes beyond the boundless conceptions of space and uh, you know terms of time. You'll end up any force. Take love. We call it personal. Is it really personal? No. Everywhere there is love. There is nothing else but love. But within me, it becomes personal. Therefore, limited and finite. But is the love within me different from love here, there? No. It, there is only one love, and it is infinite. Since Beginning of creation, it's operating. So where did it come from? It came from something beyond creation. So logically, also, this whole universe is a, you know, infinite into finite. But that is not the sense in which avatar word is used. So the third sense in which the word people use the word avatar is 
every soul is a descent of god in matter yes that is also true because souls owe their origin para prakriti it comes from the infinite that's why within the soul there is a thirst for the infinite and yet that is not the way uh, that is not the meaning the gita puts into the word avatar there is a fourth understanding of the word avatar that anybody who is a vibhuti and reaches a preeminence they say avatar hai. again <laughs> a vibhuti may reach preeminence of nature he is at a great height of nature he may even have a divine disclosure but that is not the sense in which gita uses the word avatar then there is another kind of more mystical idea of avatar that there are beings from higher worlds who descend like uh, as i said so vivekananda he is a avatar of shiva or buddha you can say like that but that is again not the sense in which gita uses the word avatar there is another doctrine that a soul may develop to a point where there is a response or reflex from the divine and it takes this soul stands upon it and uses it for his work even that is not the sense of the avatar and there is another sense uh, still higher which we see in the life of chaitanya mahaprabhu where the soul dissolves in the divine it loses itself individually and the divine pours through this soul and it becomes almost like a anshavatar of you know when chaitanya mahaprabhu everybody knows as you know his famous uh, yatras and hari rama hari krishna which you know, so beautiful but chaitanya mahaprabhu's uh, how she krishna could take hold of his being there is the jagai and madai who were you know throwing stones at drunkards throwing stones at all kinds of people including his devotees so once one of the devotee was badly injured and when chaitanya mahaprabhu saw this and jagai madai who were you know goons local goons suddenly went into krishna bhav and he took the sudarshan chakra and they were completely perplexed they felt that we can't stand in front of him so then the devotee went to his feet said lord forgive <laughs> and then he came back to his normal bhav so he shubhendu confirms he used to get into states which can be called as a partial incarnation but even this is not the sense in which the gita is using the word avatar so the word of the gita is prakartrim swam adhishtaya so the difference is all these are normal births where you are surrounded by the ignorance of earth nature and you struggle upward and reach a point either of preeminence or partial union with the divine or a glimpse or a being of the higher world using you but here the divine decides the lord to throw himself into the nature but how he will come on his own nature so the difference is yogmaya which covers us is his yog maya so it is covered all of us and so we don't know the lord but the lord says i want to take a birth so she prepares for the divine advent you see that is the meaning in the bhagavat that before she krishna's coming yog maya comes and she cautions kansa that now your time is because she knows his will will be fulfilled so there is a conscious manifestation of god taking a human birth now again one question comes that okay it's a special kind of birth let's put it like that 
But Sri Krishna says that never there was an age when you and me were not there. So was he born in these lives also? Then what is the meaning of his taking up a human body in a certain lifetime? So Shirobindo says that basically it is the divine that decision has been taken at the origin, and he has thrown himself into the flux of creation consciously with this idea that he has to manifest at every crucial juncture, and so he. Through that, as the soul prepares the mind and life, and the body, still that point is reached where the full manifestation of the avatar can take place. In other life, he comes as vibhutis, and typically we see in Shobindo's answer to this, when Nagin Doshi asked him, "I believe you and mother are avatars in this life." Yes. What were you doing in other lives? We were there as vibhutis. They were not ordinary life. If you see all the lives of mother and Shirobindo, you see, and so much so that even the body carried the impression. It's something very it passes very uh, casually. But is there anybody whose body will carry the impress? Mother at John of Arc, the body had that experience of the fire, or Shirobindo is Danton, that neck where you know the guillotine had fallen. So he he describes that uh, he said as vibhutis. So he says, "What were you doing as vibhutis in previous lives? What a disciple, huh? What the master? He says carrying on the evolution. What does it mean? For that, I have to write the entire spiritual history of the world. Now you see, the avatar lets himself forth. So even though it is in the lineage, you see, uh, Rama, Krishna, Shurabindo." But it's not that Shurabindo was Rama, then he became Krishna. No, it's let's say that countless souls have entered into the universe, but there are special manifestations of the divine who will be the avatars, and they are thrown into creation. They enter into creation consciously and go through that whole cycle, and then he says because he enters uses the yog maya to create for him a human vessel. So though there is always the divine. of whom one is conscious yet he assumes the human birth so they will be the human phenomena and the human defects defects or whatever human aspects so he says this is again very difficult for people to understand because they think the avatar must do supernormal things he says if avatar comes to do supernormal things then his life has no meaning for the people for whom he has come he comes precisely to show how being human we can cross the barrier and ascend to the next level higher nature that's what he comes to show if he does miraculous supernatural power then his life will have no meaning that's what we see niruddha asking him that sir you are a shurabindo you can do all this where are we and shurabindo says you are making my life an absurdity because if i am a freak then my life has no meaning to others if others can't do and become what i have done and become my life is here to show that it can be done that's why i have come like this and then he describes that though the avatar is conscious of the divinity within but it's a progressive divine manifestation that takes place so we see that he throws into the flux of creation and every time at crucial juncture he is there but as a vibhuti so we see the mother's life shobindo's life whether it be as, as uh, you know augustus caesar or 
French Revolution, all the great uh, preeminent life where there was a crucial change. And we see the mother's life, whether it be Catherine the Great in Russia or Queen Hatsheput in Egypt, uh, John of Arc, all of them crucial junctures where evolution has to take a turn. But here, when he manifests an avatar, it's not just a revolutionary change, but an evolutionary transition. That is the difference. Revolutionary change can be done by vibhutis. But evolutionary transition has to be done by avatar. And the, apart from giving his own example, the avatar becomes the concrete gate for this divine ascension. So this is what... Um, Shobindo reveals and we will read quickly some of these passages. For there are two aspects of the divine birth. One is a descent, the birth of God in humanity. It's a conscious descent. He prepares, I mean, Yoga Maya prepares for him. Now he has gone through that flow and he knows what exactly is the type of body. That's why Shobindo at one point tells the mother, your body is more prepared for this yoga. Even as a child, when she would try to exceed the limits of the body, you know, that 15 feet jump across. But once he, she does it with the same body, nature says, ah, possible. You see, this is the whole thing. You break a barrier and nature accepts it. That's how the avatar works. You see, if you go back to the records in Olympics, you'll see something very interesting. Or cricket or anything. What was a record earlier? pales into insignificance. Once you break a barrier, so avatar comes, breaks that critical barrier. He prepares the mind and body. Yoga Maya prepares. It is human, but because there is the divine pressure from within, it knows that it, <laughs> that barrier has to be broken. But it is the same human body made of the same elements. And when the avatar does that, so nature says, oh, I can do it. Of course, mother did many more things which we'll talk about later, you know, that integrating the supramental substance. But the moment that happens, it becomes easy for nature to follow. You wait for that leader to take that leap. That's the story of Hanuman. He takes the leap and it gives the confidence to all the monkeys. Okay, we are like him. Maybe we can cross the ocean. <laughs> Whatever way. And then we can fight. Look here, he has gone and come back. Not only come back, he has burnt the entire Lanka. Okay, Jai Shri Ram. And they go. Why? Because they see one of their kind go through it. And that's what the avatar comes to show. So the birth of God in humanity, the Godhead manifesting itself in the human form and nature. The eternal avatar. The other is an ascent, the birth of man into the Godhead. Man rising into the divine nature and consciousness. Madhbhavam. Madgata, it is the being born anew in a second birth of the soul. So while we can inside connect with the divine and the infinite, yogis have done that, even dissolve and meant become the channel. But the avatar stands at the gateway of the leap and the new evolution. That's what he has come to effectuate. So that's what uh, Shubhendra reveals to us. It is that new birth which avatarhood and the upholding of the dharma are intended to serve. This double aspect in the Gita's doctrine of avatarhood is apt to be missed by the cursory reader, satisfied with catching a superficial view of its profound teachings. 
so and then he says yet it is necessary otherwise the avatar idea would be only a dogma a popular superstition or an imaginative or mystic deification of historical or legendary superman not what the gita makes all its teaching as the rahasyam uttamam if there were not this rising of man into the godhead to be helped by the descent of godhead into humanity avatarhood for the sake of the dharma would be an otios phenomenon since mere right mere justice or standards of virtue can always be upheld by the divine omnipotence through its ordinary means so it doesn't have to take a human body mother says that every time the avatar takes a human body it is to transform this material body and that's why if you see the human body its own journey that's why every avatar brings a new body that's something very fascinating it makes the human body capable of something which is it was not the very brain the body cells they begin to change because of the divine assuming a human body and so what it means is the avatar comes as the manifestation of the divine nature in the human nature the apocalypse of its christhood krishnahood buddhahood in order that the human nature may by molding its principle thought feeling action being on the lines of that christhood krishnahood buddhahood transfigure itself into the divine so he comes to give us the law by which the human in us can be transmuted into the divine and that law that path is the path of yoga each avatar gives his own for instance krishna uh, christ to rise into christhood he gave a path and if we follow that we can rise into its this higher nature buddha he gave a path by which we can enter into this higher nature and ascend there shri krishna he gave a path and a law by which we can ascend into the true krishnahood and sure bindu gave a law and a path by which we can attain to this uh, evolution next so each avatar comes and give us this law the law the dharma which the avatar establishes is given for that purpose chiefly the christ krishna buddha stands in its center as the gate he makes through himself the way men shall follow so that's why the need for turning to the embodied avatar which is so important shurbindo repeatedly says that that the embodied divine mother so people often say but mother is everywhere in everything it's true so why the embodied because as the universal mother she takes care of everyone and everything as the transcendent she is the supreme mother whom yogis through the ages have worshiped and she has granted them liberation but when she has to do a special work the same divine mother manifests sometimes as savitri as sita as draupadi and this time as the one whom we know as the mother of shirbindu ashram why because now another kind of work has to be done in matter and a new law given so she stands at the gate but world mother yes one can contact even without contacting who else is giving all the creatures whatever they need but herself that is why each incarnation holds before men his own example and declares of himself that he is the way and the gate see sri krishna also says sarv dharman parityajya mamekam sharanam raja aham tva sarva papibhyo mokshishami masucha christ also says i am the gate and i am the way buddha also says sangham sharanam gachami dharmam sharanam gachami buddham sharanam gachami of course people interpret it as buddhahood 
But yes, we may use the word Buddha would be like. But it means that he stands there. Follow that which he has declared to as the next step. He declares to the oneness of his humanity with the divine being. Declares that the son of man and the father above are one. That Krishna in the human body and the supreme lord and friend of all creatures are but two revelations of the same divine Purushottama. So the works, you know, Sri Krishna describes in the Gita, Yada Yada Hi Dharma Siglani Bhavati Bharata Abhyutthanam Dharma Tadatma Sijameham. Sijameham, look at it, like, you know. And then he says, why he comes? Paritranaya Sadhunam, Vinashaya Chaduskritam. Dharm sansthapanathaye sambhavami yuge yuge. So looks like to a cursory view, he just comes to, you know, when there are a lot of evil people, so he comes to destroy them. And all those who are good guys who are suffering at the hands of Kansa, he suddenly gives them tax rebate and makes the taxation free. No Kansa now. You can, you know, enjoy life and follow the path of whatever ancient way of life which was good and beautiful. Uh, you don't have to listen to Kansa, but follow that evolutionary path. But that is a very superficial understanding. So he says, the work for which the avatar descends has like his birth a double sense and a double form. And I take it that that's the interesting part. Why Ravana is burnt every year? <laughs> so, every Ravana has to burn to be transformed into a Bhakta of Rama. That is the ultimate work. That death of Rama, uh, Ravana, after which he becomes a bhakta, he realizes who he is. That's when Rama tells Lakshmana, go and learn from him. And Ravana at that point of time has realized that he is a bhakta of the Lord because that's what he in originally was. So he says, it has an outward side of the divine force acting upon the external world in order to maintain there and to reshape the divine law by which the Godward effort of humanity is kept from decisive retrogression. Well, apply it to Shurabindo. What was it hundred years back? There was Asura of imperialism, Asura of Marxist communism, Asura of, you know, this kind of a thought, positivism, that there is actually no God, stark materialism, and at the center of it all, we see a great turbulent Asuric being, far worse than all our Durodhana, Kansa and everybody together, Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini. Was there ever a state of humanity more precarious? Just one of these Asuras was enough to finish. But during that time, who was at the center? Now, of course, many people say they are Kalki Avatar, okay, no problem. But the time when Kalki Avatar was really needed, he came, he did, he went. <laughs> so, <laughs> we see exactly during that time, we cannot imagine what the condition of the world would have been. Abhi thoda sa corona flu and we are all, you know, with that two and a half percent morality, mortality. Oh, so what is God doing? Spanish flu, which took away a large, I don't remember the number, I think 15-20% had just wiped off. And the rest, there was the second world, the first world war and then the second world war. And look at the degradation of life that took place. Everything was snatched. But who was drinking that poison that time? Imperialism, India, falling completely. The one nation which could have given the right law. Believed that, no, we are no good. Till now we believe it. Huh? So if you 
write an article and not only article when there is a talk and somebody you know comes with a gora <laughs> okay i want to sound racist you know i have seen this so strange suddenly people will ask you know i am just saying a random name bernard xyz you know said so you assume that because it's a name which comes from the other side of the o must be great so i sometimes stun the person i say but who is he because actually i don't know who is he <laughs> so, i really don't know who is he oh you don't know because you are expected to know all that comes in new york times that's the problem so <laughs> you are and if you say no no but theory of evolution by the way you know it is there in um shrimad bhagavat oh don't talk about this superstitious sentimental fellow <laughs> See, this is the enslavement till now. It's okay to teach Darwinism. I agree. It's something beautiful that man opened the eyes of the world to some long-forgotten truth. But how about teaching the parable of the ten of thoughts, also as a story of evolution, of Vedanta as a theory of evolution of soul through the cycle of rebirths? All these are scientific things, and you can pursue them as lines of evidence. But till date. we don't uh, we have not shaken off the slavery this was the state in which shrobindo comes and what did he remind us recovered the aryan thought the aryan life the aryan dharma the aryan discipline not just through books but in your life and practice he reminded us to the world what is the message he gave the world is a is divine marching towards its own luminous future towards its own realization in in that state of div- utter unity and chaos he was releasing page after page of savitri to the dim children of earth were given is there any doubt that they there you know you try to think of anybody very impersonally and i am not saying this as uh, you know a child of mother but just look at it very impersonally rationally logically and you will see that there is not a single person who will stand as the avatar of who comes at the transition of kalki into the new satyug very clearly shurbindo so that was the time when dharmasya glani people didn't know all the indians were thinking actually we must follow the western paradigm that's why shurbindo was sent to england because you know oh they are they know how what really life is about <laughs> shurbindo learnt it comes back and gives it back because he knew what that life is about and he also knew what truly indian life is about so the avatar does not descend merely for a great outward action so it's not just the outward action that but that's one part which we see in the life of shirbindo as the pragmatic sense in humanity is too often tempted to suppose the crisis in which the avatar appears though apparent to the outward eye only as a crisis of events and great material changes is always in its source and real meaning a crisis in the consciousness of humanity when it has to undergo some grand modification and effect some new development for this action of change a divine force is needed so that's where the avatar stands and that divine force the outward action of the avatar is described in the gita as the restoration of the dharma 
But what really is dharma? Dharma is a word which has an ethical and practical, a natural and philosophical and a religious and spiritual significance. And it may be used in any of these senses exclusive of the others. In a purely ethical, a purely philosophical or a purely religious sense. Ethically it means the law of righteousness, the moral rule of conduct or in a still more outward and practical significance social and political justice. But dharma is both that which we hold to and that which holds together our inner and outer activities. In its primary sense, it means a fundamental law of our nature which secretly conditions all our activities. So that's what is the dharma. Each man has his own dharma. Each creature has its own dharma. Each yuk has its own dharma. Each stage has its own dharma. So in Indian thought, each nation has its own dharma. So dharma was not a role of code of conduct. Follow it everywhere. And in this sense, each being, each type, species, individual, group has its own dharma. Secondly, there is the divine nature which has to develop and manifest in us. And in this sense, dharma is the law of the inner workings by which that grows in our being. So what is dharma? All that leads to the divine unfolding in us. As simple as that. What is the dharma? All that blocks and obstructs. It could be our own relatives. It doesn't matter. Thirdly, there is the law by which we govern our outgoing thought and action and our relations with each other so as to help best both our own growth and that of the human race towards the divine ideal. So once he reveals to us that this is what is meant by the dharma and the dharma, in the end, Sri Krishna reveals who really benefits from the coming of the divine and the avatar. Who really benefits or takes, uh, who grows with faith into this divine nature. This is the most important aspect. He says, who has faith of, in the divine descent in humanity and becoming full of him, Madhbhava Madgata, takes complete refuge in him. Now it may sound very strange because individualistic, egocentric mind cannot accept that I have to uh, take refuge in another person who looks like a human being like us. And my answer for that is very simple. All the time we are taking, surrendering and taking refuge in countless human beings who are not only look like us but are worse than us. Which includes the politicians, which includes teachers, everybody. But when it comes to divine, there is this stubborn resistance. I won't take refuge in such a person. And Sri Krishna declares very clearly, the inner fruit of the divine coming comes to those who, by faith, they realize that this is the divine descent in humanity. They take refuge in him and grow full of him. So, we will read this passage again next time. But the mother says something very interesting. She says in Gita, there in, in the Bible, there is the idea of the original sin and it is redeemed by the advent of Christ and you know, if you have faith that Christ has redeemed mankind, it is redeemed. She says the truth within it is this, that there are those, she says there will be three kinds of humanity following Sri coming. One is which will stubbornly refuse, resist, 
and that humanity is foredoomed it'll collapse back it doesn't it it resists the onward march of mankind there is another which is more animal life like it will get back into the animal state there is a third kind of humanity which wants something higher but not yet ready for the great leap and it will ascend into a higher kind of humanity more illumined humanity a better humanity more harmonious humanity but there are those who don't know about all about supramental and they have not read anything but they have faith in the divine birth in matter she uses the word of the divine sacrifice in matter why it is there preparation in previous life we don't know we may call them ignorant people but they just have faith that she is the divine and she has taken a human form and she says that to give you courage those who are born in this corrupted part of humanity just by faith you are redeemed just you have the faith that the divine took a human body and that's enough because that's why the avatar comes to make it very easy for us otherwise you have to go through all that big process but by taking a human body he becomes the gate and he becomes the way and if we turn to the avatar embodied avatar knowing that it is none else but the divine who has taken a human body then all that is surrender to him automatically comes in contact with the supreme and what the avatar is meant to effectuate is effectuated in those who are endowed with faith a last one little anecdote of mother's conversation with uh, satprem ben you know he is seeing that it is such a difficult thing mother is describing and then she goes through all the pain and all the difficulties of the journey at one point he says mother this is so difficult how are we supposed to do it and then the mother's reply is uh, you know we may use the word shocking but not so shocking very natural she says but who is asking you to do it and then she says don't you know shurbindo kept telling you that turn to me and then she says because this body has been prepared for this work that's why i'm doing it this body has been prepared look at the same thing the avatar preparing the body this body has been prepared for this work but whatever is done in this body automatically can go into others if they open and surrender that's the whole process shubindo says the same thing that i my body is also made up of some matter and whatever happens here can get translated into others and that opens doors to several secrets including the secret of the samadhi and of course the relics of shurbindo and the mother and the heart that is endowed with faith okay namaste